low moral fiber. Choo choo choo, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Do we need to give a parental advisory for this? Men have low moral fiber, and they have all sorts of cool swag. And I'm Turk Reynolds? I chose moonshine today for my beers. Alright, everybody. Let's get swifty. Clicking furiously on my mouse. Kristen's doing it. That was cool. That was fun, guys. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Hello and welcome to another episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show that always gives back to their prized possessions three separate times to make sure we always get the good ending. And we would never, ever forget to do that because we're just we're good people here is what we are. I'm your host, Ben Helms. And with me, as always, is my older, wiser, non-patricidal brother, Jason Helms. How's it going, man? Going pretty good. Just uh, busy not killing my parents, you know? Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Still <laughs> still not killing them. It's great. Still. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Man. Proud of yeah. you. Are you. And you're recording from your office today? I am. So if the sound is a little bit weird, uh, that's why. Uh, yeah. If I sound too professional, that's also why. Uh, you look good today. The Wi-Fi hey, is definitely better you. in your office. It's probably because it's not a Wi-Fi, is it? No, no, okay, it's probably. Well, that's fine. All right. Anyway, so today we are tackling uh, another new game or a, a newer game. I don't know. Uh, but it, it, I looked it up. I had to look it up. I did some research into our Google document of games and the four of our last four of our last six games have been made within the last five years, which kind of goes against the like the model or the mission when we first started this podcast. So I think we're going to be kind of switching things up. Yeah, it goes against our very core of who yeah, we are. Exactly. So we're probably going to switch things up, go back to some more 80s and 90s games in the next few months. Uh, so say goodbye to good graphics for a while, uh, unless we play a remastered full throttle next month. Anyway, uh, today we are talking all about the cave. So what did you know about the cave before we played it and did some research on it? Uh, I knew that Ron Gilbert made it. Um, and I mm. knew that it was some kind of metaphor for the human experience. Okay. Um, that was pretty much it. And, and that the only thing you'll find in there is what you bring with you. Nice. Thank you. I, I think all I knew was, it, I thought it was a platformer. That's the kind of word that gets thrown around, but like that Mario left to right scrolling. Right, right, right. I, I mean, it can, especially compared to a lot of the, um, the, the scum games where you're not jumping up and down and jumping on turtles or whatever and spitting out fire like you would in Mario. This seemed a lot more action like kind of like Earthworm Jim was the game that came to yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. When I thought of this. And so very, you know, that 2D classic thing, but you kind of get the parallax scene, a little bit of 3D in backgrounds. Um and I did that's really all I knew about it was <clears throat> that's really all I knew about it was just the the screenshots. So um yeah I think we'd probably start jumping into the research. But yeah, usual intro research gameplay what's the beer what's the song we might get a visit from an old friend after that Ooh. uh and then we'll do uh talk about next month's game anything else sounds great all right so kind of the background of the game is it's another ron gilbert joint he just yeah. he's always on the podcast whether he knows it or not and he retweeted us the other day so we are now bfs we're big time we're a big time that's basically like inviting us over for a glass of wine so Pretty i'm sure. not sure if he knows that but that's how we see it um <laughs> But yeah, so th- this is a, a team, another team up of Tim Schaefer and Ron Gilbert, just like um, I guess the, the first Monkey Island was kind of the first day of the tentacle, even though Ron Gilbert left before that was released. Uh, but they worked on a lot of the original scum games uh, together. And so after they both left LucasArts, Tim Schaefer in the late 90s started Double Fine Games, which went on to make Psychonauts and Brutal Legend, a couple other big games. Uh, and then Ron Gilbert did a bunch of different projects. And in 2000, 
10 uh, announced somehow through a press release uh, that uh, he was joining Double Fine Games to at least, I don't know if he said just to make this game at the time, that's what it ended up being, uh, but to start a new project with, with Tim Schafer right? at Double Fine, right? Yeah, and uh, after leaving Double Fine in 2014, 2015, he said he might come back as well to do a future project. So it kind of, to me, doesn't sound like he ever really joined Double Fine or left Double Fine. It's right. just, hey, me and Tim might get, make games sometimes. They'll be yeah. published by Double Fine. And especially looking back on Thimbleweed Park just came out a month or two ago, you know, teaming up with Gary Winnick and David Fox. And he said things in the past of basically saying, like, I like small teams. I like single projects. I don't like this big view. Even when he's making games, he likes to focus on the one puzzle at a time, one scene at a time kind of stuff. And then at the very end, you know, kind of making it all fit together with the bigger themes that he's been focusing on. So I think it makes sense. And as long as he's able to make good art out of it, it's that's awesome how he can do that and not be confined by Disney or whatever. Not that double fine is owned by a bigger company, but you know, the fact that you can kind of do it independently is, is pretty cool. So more, more power to him on that. Uh, yeah, he but wants yeah, to do it his way, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if we're getting games like the cave and thimbleweed out of it, that's awesome. Uh, and Tim Schafer, they weren't, uh, like project leads on it together. It was everything I'm reading. It was Ron's project. It was his game. He was the lead on it. He had uh, a lot of the coding on it, a lot of the writing on it. Uh, and it was Tim Schafer was the creative director for it, which I couldn't get much deeper into. All the interviews are all with Ron Gilbert. I couldn't find much Tim Schafer stuff other than him praising Ron Gilbert for the game. Did you see anything about that? No, I, I didn't. But I don't know. Just visually, it does remind me of other Tim Schafer stuff. Um, yeah, but a cartoony I, look to it for sure. Yeah, yeah. The general yeah. vibe. Yep, yep. So the original idea, and I'd heard this too, I guess this is one of the other things I knew before playing the game, which this was an idea that Ron had when he was working at, uh, at LucasArts. So early nineties. Uh, and he had, I don't know how much he had kind of flushed out, but he said that he had some of the labyrinths and some of the puzzled are already figured out. I don't think he knew it was going to be seven different playable characters at that point. Um, but I think he wanted the same style of, um, character play that maniac mansion had. So you would choose from a larger number of characters and that would also breed replayability, which Maniac Mansion had as well. Um, you can beat the game different ways depending on who you pick, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the idea of kind of people's deepest and darkest secrets being hidden within the cave, I think was kind of one of the core concepts that he talks about being one of the first ideas he had in the early 90s about the game. Yeah, and from what I read, that first idea actually came in the early 80s, uh, in mm. 1983. Oh, okay. Um, and so, but you're right that he initially started to develop it as a game, I think in the late eighties and early nineties, uh, is where that, gotcha. that started to actually come together beyond that initial idea. Um, but I think the initial idea of the, the cave where you go to find your deepest desires and your darkest fears, um, and finding out that they're often the same thing, uh, is a really kind Ooh. of interesting idea. I know, right. Uh, is an interesting idea. And it's really tough to describe. So if you haven't played this game, yeah, yeah, let's get into that. Says it's that. really dark and humorous at the same time. Uh, it's, it's tough to talk about how it's dark with a really light touch. Totally. Uh, but, but it is. And, uh, it's, it's such a light touch that it's sometimes difficult to remind yourself that it, it kind of has these huge dense philosophical themes to it. Um, but they're there and, and it, yeah, I think it executes them really well. I think it'll make more sense when I tell people what beer I picked for the game. Yes. That's kind of oh, going to be an aha moment for a lot of the listeners to kind of clarify your point there. I think it usually is. Yeah, definitely. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. So you start the game um, choosing between uh, seven different characters, mm-hmm. uh, and each of the characters has his or her own uh, special talent. So, yeah. uh, Ben, you want to just run through those real quick? Yeah, so you're uh, a monk who is... Uh, has telekinesis as a power can move things with his mind. You have an adventurer who can grapple with her. It's a whip that she has, I believe probably or a chain. I can't, I yeah, some sort of graphical thing that lets her grapple. Um, a hillbilly who can breathe underwater. Thank God for his ability to do that. Uh, I died so many times before I figured out he could do that. Uh, a scientist who is a computer hacker, uh, twins who I think their ability is called ghost. Basically they can yeah. separate as twins for a little bit and kind of be two places at once. Uh, a knight who is, has invincibility or guardian angel that lets him just be invincible, although he can't move at the same time, which was frustrating. But anyway, and then finally, a time traveler who can travel through time. No, who can teleport, actually, and also travel through time occasionally as well. Uh, what three did you pick, by the way, the first time you played? Uh, I picked the monk, the twins and the scientist. How did we pick three opposite or not opposite? I guess there's seven, right? We picked three different characters. That's awesome. I picked. I did that intentionally because oh, you, you, know you told what? me which oh, ones you chose. Okay. <laughs> Do you know who you would have picked? It might have been those. Um, okay. The, <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah. Because uh, we talk to each other more than once a month. It's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I picked the adventurer, uh, the knight, and the hillbilly. Uh, and basically, I just picked the most cartoonish ones. Was kind of my goal yeah. there. Uh, the least realistic ones. I think mine led to more philosophical ponderings because they were the, yeah. not more thoughtful characters, but less cartoony in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah. Anyway. So the, the goal of, of Ron Gilbert's stated goal was to create kind of a brand new type of game. So in between classic scum adventure game and platformer left to right scrolly stuff, which was a game that was full of puzzles, but not so hard that it was like, fate of atlantis or whatever sam and max like stuck on it take it to school the next day think about it for a week and it was more i guess like he didn't say this but i'm saying this more aimed at the casual gamer yeah and so people who liked adventure those old adventure puzzle games would still get a thrill out of this because there's those constant puzzles but there's also that kind of uh constant entertainment throughout the game you have that narrative that's just constantly going and there's no like whoa this is a little too heavy i need to sit back have a drink and think about this puzzle for a few days like a lot of those old scum games have. How were those? How are you at solving those puzzles? Did you have the same experience that I did? Well, I I think um, our listeners are, uh, would probably know that that I'm pretty much in line with that casual gamer thing. That sounds good to me. So this is really my sweet spot of I want to solve puzzles, uh, but I don't want to have to spend forever on it. So I think yeah. Other than the first level where I was really struggling just to get the controls down. Yeah, um, and you were playing on your phone. I ch- yeah, I played on the yeah, phone. Yeah, okay. I played it on my Mac. Uh, it, on the one hand, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, and on the other, it was a really nice way to be able to just go into and out of the game easily. Um, you know, I wasn't too, too... I didn't have to go sit down and make a big deal of it. I could just sit, play for five minutes, go do something sure. else, which was great. Yeah. Um, but the controls were, were difficult, uh, especially in the first level where I was still trying to figure things out. Yeah. Uh, and getting the interactions to work. A lot of the time was when you would try to interact with something, you know, you tap on it. But tapping is also to jump, and so you would have to uh, jump to interact with stuff. Yeah. And so if you want to throw a hot dog on a stick, for example, it will mistakenly jump you into a pit of sticks. Yep. Um, like four or five times in a row, uh, which was frustrating. I still don't know how to drop an item. 
I oh, did it. It's really easy on the phone. You just double tap. I had to do it a lot. Sometimes it was double tap. Sometimes it was single or triple. I don't know. I just clicked a bunch on the screen and it usually didn't matter because I just clicked until he dropped it. But when you're in the middle of like a timed puzzle, that's when I'm pulling out my hair and getting really frustrated. But yeah, there were even on with, you know, using a mouse, it was definitely fresh. The controls were frustrating, jumping on things and climbing up ladders. I think the, the most frustrating thing was just walking around. Like yeah. It felt like load runner sometimes when I was just like, Oh, I have to get all the way to the other side of the map. Like running as slow as possible, trying to jump up things. And then of course you realize, Oh, I have to get all three characters over to that side of the map. Yeah. All over again. And it was really nice when you usually when you end a puzzle, you go to the you know the beginning of a new puzzle or something like that. When they brings the other two characters automatically. Oh, oh my felt gosh. So good. It felt so good. Uh definitely wish you could teleport all three together at times or figure out some sort of mechanic oh, around that. But. Wow. Yeah, that would be a button. The only problem yeah. is that so many puzzles revolved yeah. around how do you get one player over here, but That'd be cool if it was just turned on and off at certain points. If there's a puzzle, it would turn it off. Or what about... Uh, but just a button to say, get everyone over here. Idea that I was playing with my buddy Tyler, and he said... He had a great idea. I think this would be awesome. What if you could zoom out on the screen to see, like, you know, 10 layers or whatever? Which I guess couldn't... I guess you could black out certain portions if you, if you, you know, if Gilbert didn't want you to see him. Uh, and then you could just drag your player up rather than, like race up for 30 seconds or two minutes to get to whatever place you want to go to. If you could just click on them and then click on the room you want them to be in. If that was open, that's obviously actually, that's actually a puzzle in the monks quest did not play as the monk. I was the uh, one guy I didn't play. I know. <laughs> so All spoilers, right. po- spoilers ahead from this point on, we are firmly into gameplay. Yeah. Um, so in the monk, the last quest you have to do, and, and the quests in the monks one are, are kind of cool because they're they're all counterintuitive in some okay. way. Um, and so the last one, you just get to this place, and there's a meditation statue. Okay. You're just supposed to stand in front of it and meditate. And the sign says, meditation increases your scope of the world or something like yes, that. Yes, okay. Increases the way in which you view the world. And so you stay up there, and if you wait for like 30 seconds, all of a sudden the map starts, or the, your view of the screen starts to grow, and you can see how to solve the puzzle. That's cool. Because there's something outside. That so it's a really cool, cool effect. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the parts, uh, one of the, my I guess, praises for the game was how kind of flawless the transitions between levels were, especially because... Mm-hmm they had to have multiples of each, right? Cause they don't know who, you know, they have, have to have one for every possible combination of who you're going to pick. So the fact that you could go from the hillbillies level to the scientist level or the hillbillies to the twins level or whatever, and they would make that same exact transition just look perfect. Um, and there was right. one time when I guess it wasn't perfect or, uh, I think it was right before it was right before the Island, which I think was on everyone's. Cause that's the one I read about that. Yeah. It was just like, this is the ultimate puzzle that takes forever and is super frustrating. And it was, but I can't remember where I came from. I think the zoo to the island is where I went. And somewhere in there, there was a signpost that said, like, the lightest things in the world are the heaviest or the other way around or whatever yes. it was. I was like, ah, and I was there for like 10 minutes looking around. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I think this might be a monk thing. Because <laughs> that has nothing to do with me or my hillbilly adventure night. So I just ignored it and went the other way. But other than that one moment, even that, it wasn't like a dead end or anything. Uh, I just loved how... Um, how tight the whole game, the whole build of everything was. It just looked gorgeous too the whole time. Yeah. Yep. And, and I accidentally happened on what I think was a hillbilly level because there was a huge water area that I couldn't swim through. Yep. Um, Which that's get, cool. Like, Cause that's a natural it, way like, to cut that off. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I got through it like two or three times. Like I got, I would get almost there, yeah. 
but it'd be just far enough that I'd know, no, there's no way to do this. So then I moved on with my life. Exactly. They died a couple times and moved on. Nice. One thing I wish we had been able to do was the co-op feature. Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah. Which Gilly, Gilly talks about, you know, if you have a friend to come over, you can both play at the same time. And if you have, which he hadn't heard of, and I laughed out loud when I heard this, like, I don't know if anyone who has two friends, but if you do, <laughs> uh, if you have a friend who has another friend, bring them over and you can play all three of you on the same screen, which I think is a really cool f- feature that I wish we could have been able to do, but we'll have to do that some other time. Gilly. Gilly. RG. Uh, but yeah, after they came out with the game 2013, a couple months later, uh, Gilly left Double Fine uh, to seek out fame and fortune and obviously to discover what he desired most in the world. And mm. uh, eventually he came out of the cave with Thimbleweed Park a couple yeah. months ago. So yeah. good work. Yeah. And so in, I guess in more, this is more research stuff and gameplay combined. It's just going to be completely combined in this episode, uh, which was the idea. I didn't think about this until I started doing the research, but was the idea of the seven deadly sins Yeah, and the seven so- characters. When did you first think of that? Oh, I didn't first think of it. I, I ran across it in a, a link you sent me. Um, okay, cool. I thought, I thought you thought about it. No, no, no. Um, but it, it made such sense. I was like, Oh yeah, exactly. And then I started to look through the descriptions and which one was, which, and I kept saying, well, actually I think that character is more like this. Right. And I would go, well, maybe they're the third one. And the more I would look at it, the more I kept changing around. And so it made me think, you know, it's one of those things where in one of the Ron Gilbert interviews, he talks about the importance of three and the importance of seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, three is not uh, a binary, so it's not either this or that, which is what two right. is. Four is too complicated to keep track of. Uh, seven is this kind of nice number uh, that uh, is about as much as you can keep track of in the abstract, but not necessarily in your working memory too well. Uh, like he went into some details about those two numbers, uh, and I think there's just the lineup between seven and seven. You know, seven deadly sins, seven characters. Yeah, uh, and you could put. But it's it just a weird any... number for this game because you can only play as three. Yeah. So like six would make sense. Nine would make sense. Seven just seems frustrating. Yeah. Yep. And and it it makes you play it one additional time. Right. Uh, And he said he realized that and he was just okay with it because he wanted to stick with the original um, Maniac Mansion vibe of seven characters and just likes the number seven. All right. But but with that number, then that makes you connected to other sevens. Um, And so, you know, I don't think they necessarily line up with the seven sins. But it's a fun exercise to try to figure out, even though uh, they'll constantly switch around. Yeah, I definitely spent some time just sitting there and I was like, oh, gluttony. Oh, there's no like classic overweight character. Greed, I guess the scientist. Lust, the hillbilly made sense. Um, Sloth, the knight, because he wasn't really a knight, but that didn't really line up. Yeah, so it didn't. There were a lot of crossover and, and it just didn't seem like certain ones didn't fit any, but. Um, I guess it is just a little unclear, a little vague of just like, eh, this is how it is. And again, we tried to figure out the seven lessons, right? You were trying to figure out, yeah. put together kind of the seven, with the seven deadly sins, we'd have the seven deadly, I seven guess, lessons lessons. Right word. Yeah, the <laughs> lifely lessons, right? Exactly. Yeah. Do we, do we ever land on what we think those actually are, or was that just as vague? Uh, it, it was probably just as vague, but I do think that each character had uh, opportunities to learn, especially if you got the good ending. Right, yeah. So that was something that I I wish there was a more a more obvious sounds dumb. Uh makes me sound like a simpleton. But I wish there was I guess like a more clear way to have that good ending. So again, spoilers. If you do the game, you get the prizes at the end, you give them to the 
uh, with a gift shop clerk, right? Uh, then you get the sad ending. But if you refuse the gift or you try to give your gift back three times and three times he denied you, then, <laughs> then eventually he'll undeny it and he'll give you what you desired most and you'll get the happy ending. That just seemed like, I wonder how many people actually do that without having to, to search for that. Did you have but, any inclination to be like, Oh, I'll give this no, back. No, but no. the internet exists and there were enough. Yeah. I feel like That's there were fair. enough subtle clues in the game to tell you that this is not something you want. Um, yeah. That, that it did make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And it was satisfying to me. That's to feel like, Oh, I wish I would have figured that out. I wish I, That's, cause yeah, okay. it wasn't like I was looking for a good ending. Right. Um, but if I spent the time to look for it, it's, I know it's possible. I could have figured it out, but not, not probable. Yeah. I think another thing that frustrated me about the game was the lack of saved game, at least yeah. on, um, through steam on my yep. Mac. Mine too. Um, my buddy wanted to play. So I was like, Oh, you play. But then it was either continue or new game were my two options. Yeah. It's like, yeah. wait, if I do a new game, is my game gone? Yep. I didn't. So try it. we just continue I where I was from the game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, I was terrified to that there was no like safe spot, safe uh, no spot, no spots, no like safe slot for or anything to see that you had saved your game. So it's constantly like saving and after each level just to make sure. Because um, one time it did happen where my computer crashed and I lost the last like twenty minutes. Oof. So Oof. that was terrifying. Uh, yeah. Anything else in the game? I'm trying to think of one last thing we should mention is the um, cave paintings. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, throughout the game, you, you can find a series of uh, little icons, and each one will give you a, um, a cave painting. Each character has, I think, uh, 12 cave paintings. Uh, yeah. And then each of the paintings tells a little part of their story. And as you slowly find them, you get to put together their entire background. Um, and then uh, the last two cave paintings you get with your ending, uh, a set of two with a good ending and a set of two with right. a bad ending. Um, so that, that's how you kind of fill in the details on uh, why your character is the way they they are, why this object is the object of their desire, and so on. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So definitely a an interesting way to tell the overall narrative. I guess it's the first thing in my mind. Sadly, it was like, oh, this is cheaper than making cutscenes. I guess. Um, yeah. Which I don't think would be the reason to do that. I don't know what it. What did you think when you first saw that? Well, I think it's a more helpful way than cutscenes in that um, the characters are so cartoony that we're driven to kind of connect with them. Yeah. Um, and if it were cutscenes, it would be me watching the monk do something, as opposed to these individual paintings where I'm kind of putting myself in the place of the monk. I've spent so much time playing as the monk that now I'm seeing myself do these things. Um, so I'd say that they work better than cutscenes in that sense. All right. I like that. Fair enough. Uh, one last thing we do have to talk about uh, is a certain friend. That we saw deep within the cave. <gasps> Who is it? Chuck is a plant, but he's so much more than that. I said, Chuck's not only a plant, he's an NPC in jail. So I did see a friend there. I, you know, I, I found him first, so I think I should probably get a chance to talk about him first. Please, uh, yeah. And that was uh, our good friend, uh, this time actually in a different, uh, a different form than we usually see him, and that's Chuck the Flame. Uh, so he, you know, like a lot of characters in the game, we, he went into the cave, uh, and this is just what I learned as the night talking to him sitting in the brazier. Yeah. Uh, he went into the cave looking for what he desired most in the world, but, uh, unfortunately was consumed by his biggest vice. Uh, and sadly what was often seen as kind of a positive for old Chucky growing up, uh, just being really attractive towards the other, the opposite fern gender, sure. uh, turned out to be his reckoning, unfortunately. And so as he fell, slowly 
in slow motion, falling off of the cliff into the fiery brazier after, you know, trying to look at himself in the reflection of mm-hmm. an out of reach puddle, uh, just a little too close to the cliff. He realized that his vanity had gotten the best of him and he was just too damn hot. Wow. Wow. I but, love um, it. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what was your experience with Chuck in the cave? Um, so mine was more of a, a prequel because usually we, we try to figure out, you know, what's Chuck been doing but since the last game. This is really a prequel because I found him in a Victorian mansion um, and he was oh, a plant. Oh, lovely. Uh, so this is really Chuck's origin story is kind of in the game. Interesting. Um, and let me tell you, Chuck has seen some things. Yeah, I bet. In the game, Chuck passively stands by as the twins calmly commit patricide. Um, yeah. I, well, I was curious to know how that affected him for the rest of his long life, so I conducted a little interview with him on the special mini-episode of Between Two Chucks with nice. Chuck the Plant. Wow, so, uh, okay. Do, do we have that? Can we, uh, can we roll that? Yeah, let's, uh, let's roll the film. Well, Chuck, uh, can I call you Chuck? <laughs> oh, so I guess we could call this three Chucks instead of between two Chucks, huh? It's true. Yeah. So, so let's start with the mansion, the original mansion. It may be hard for our listeners to imagine, but there are more maniacal mansions out there than the Maniac Mansion. You saw the twins murder their parents. Why didn't you stop them? No, 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 I understand. Who, who couldn't? Um, so where did you go next? It, it can't have been easy for you after seeing so much violence. <laughs> I can only imagine. Okay, so after Shireen left you, uh, you, must, you must have felt a mixture of uh, disappointment, but also freedom. And that led to a gig as a motorcycle stunt rider in a traveling carnival? Amazing. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Again, Chuck, it's been a real honor. <sighs> Same to you, Chuck. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. This game's pretty fun. You with frustration. When I was all done, I just had to question. What's the beer? What's the song? I can't I just want to know what game is Westy 12. All right. So, yeah, we are now at the beer and song portion of the podcast. Uh, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. What beer and song really meant the cave to you? Uh, I'm going with Delirium Tremens as my beer. Oh, okay. Um, nice. It's, uh, it's a, a great Belgian beer. Uh, in a cool gray bottle with a pink elephant on it. Uh, it's fun, light, really, really tasty and sweet, but it packs a wallop. And so that connected with me uh, on a couple levels with this game. Uh, the game is, you know, totally approachable and accessible for casual gamers, uh, but there's a lot of complexity to it in terms of the puzzles and also uh, depth in terms of the larger themes. Nice. Very concise. Uh, mine was uh, Le Terroir from New Belgium. Ooh. Uh, which I, I think I just saw in the store. It's one of their Lips of Faith series, and I, I can't remember who told me about it first. I think I just saw it in the store, picked it up. Uh, it was one of the first hoppy sours I'd ever heard of, and one, 
first I'd ever had for years. Uh, and it, it's kind of takes into account the, the sweetness of the game combined with the sadness or the sourness of the seven deadly sins and the kind of the dark endings to a lot of the characters. Um, just a great combination of the, the levity at the same time. And just like the beer, a great combination of the sourness with the hoppy bitterness and just an overall really drinkable, really accessible, like you said, beer. Uh, and then my song, uh, which I'll just get into right now. Uh, yeah, so that's How to Fix Everything by the band Bayside, one of my all-time favorite bands. I saw them a couple times live in like high school, I think, a long time ago. And this whole song about uh, pain and temptation and kind of putting up walls and being too scared to tear them down so you don't know what you're going to find behind them and kind of figuring out how to solve all your problems, how to fix everything. So I, I thought that fit nicely within a puzzle game, but just reading the lyrics over again, listening to the song... It had this kind of retro feel to the the song, which this game definitely had with Ron Gilbert's input, uh, and it just fit nicely with a lot of the themes of the game too that the lyrics did. So, uh, just one of my all time favorite songs, and just a game that I had a great time playing. What about you? Uh, so, I think for the first time ever, I'm going to go with an entire album for oh, for my song. Nice. Not Mitch album though. No, no. Um, wow, great <laughs> jokes today by Ben. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know what to do with that. I wanted, I wanted a yes and. Uh, totally, Ben. T- Tuesdays with Ron Gilbert. Crap, I'm done. Um, <laughs> so so my uh, my album is Fran- yeah. Francis the Mute by the Mars Volta. And oh, dude. Francis the Mute is a, just a great album. If you haven't heard it. Uh, it's been a while. Well, here's a, here's a short clip. So it's it's a concept album. It's super weird, uh, but both the concept and the actual recording process uh, reflect the game. So the concept is uh, an audio artist for Mars Volta, uh, Jeremy Ward, found a diary in the backseat of a car that he was repossessing when he used to be a repo man. Whew, long background. Um, and in the diary, it was about the person who wrote it, who he didn't know, uh, his search for his biological parents. So then later, the frontman for the Mars Volta, Omar Rodriguez Lopez, takes the material from the diary and turns it into an album. So he's kind of taking on this other person's character. Wow. Which reminds me a lot of the cave. You know, you're taking on someone else's search for their, their deepest desire, their object of their desire. Sure. Um, at the same time, he also did this really interesting recording thing where he separated all the instruments. He had everybody record separately. And he had... Okay. Dozens and dozens of different uh, guest musicians on it, too, uh, including half of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Flea and John Frusciante are both on it. Uh, Flea plays what? trumpet for some reason. Um, of course. And so he, he had them recorded separately. He recorded the drum tracks first so people could play along to that. And then he had people just improvise off of that and, like, would set the key, would set, give them different pieces. And he went back and re-edited them and layered them on top of each other, which leads to this incredibly bizarre kind of off-putting, difficult album that's also 
got a lot of earworms in it. It really gets stuck in your head. It's, it's kind of a, it's just yeah. a really, really cool album. Uh, and so that reminded me of the work that went into this game. Uh, one of the things we didn't get to talk about is the game plays a lot, like just a really linear story. You've got these three characters, but you never feel like you're being shown too much of the other worlds. Except, like Ben mentioned, when you accidentally walk into another character's um, uh, level. Um, right. But it's it's really complex in, ster- in terms of the puzzle dependency charts, you know, depending on what character you chose when and giving people this kind of holistic, coherent experience, even though things are really disjointed. So that was the connection for me is this really disjointed thing that kind of somehow yields an overall coherence. Love it. OK, let's take a quick break uh, to hear a word from our sponsor. Hey everybody, Stefan here from Tresendar Manor. That's Tresendar Manor, home of the Heroes Feast. We are the leading D&D B&B here in the Faerun. Just wanted to invite you all down to come and stay with us when you get a chance. Uh, if, if you survive the dungeons, that is. You can find us at tresendarmanor.com. That's T-R-E-S-E-N-D-A-R manor.com. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Stefan, for sending that in. Uh, yeah. If you do find yourself near Neverwinter looking for a good place to stay, we know Stefan will take care of you uh, or else. Anyway, uh, that brings us to next month's game, which is another Tim Schafer jam, and that is Full Throttle. Full Throttle. And we will have a special guest on this, uh, and I think he even knows about it. So uh, looking forward to that. Nice. Nice. We'll just surprise them the day of and call them up. Sounds I hope good. they've been playing it constantly since it came out. Hey, did you play this? Yeah. And they just came out with a remastered version either earlier this year or last year. So. Feel free to go download. I think GOG is a place you can download it. I think it's on Steam too because it's remastered. So anywhere you play games, it's probably there. But yeah, it's. You, I think you can play the old version or the new version. We'll find out in a couple days when we start playing it. But yeah, it'll be interesting to go out and play it. When you played this game when it came out, right? Uh, just the uh, just the demo. I don't think I ever owned it. Ah, that's what it was. I think I played the demo too. Yeah, whatever you played, I played. But yeah, yeah. I don't remember a lot of the puzzles. I just remember some of the visuals. So that must have been the yeah. demo. Uh, but yeah, again, that's all we have for you today. Kind of a shorter episode, but uh, go ahead and check out uh, our website to see kind of our, our recent adventures and what's coming up next. And uh, go check out actually uh, last week, maybe the week before we dropped uh, an interview between two Chucks with the great David Fox, which we just had a great time interviewing. What's one thing you learned from that interview that you want to pass on right now, Jay? A little teaser. Um, yeah, I think the most interesting thing to learn was actually that he was the one behind the hamster um, puzzle? Should we call it a puzzle? Yeah, Maniac Mansion? puzzle. The yeah, integral event. to the plot of Maniac Mansion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Ben? Uh, how about me? Oh my gosh. Uh, that was one of the biggest ones. I think his obsession just with microwaves in general was a big yeah. one. So there, we've teased, we spoiled the first 90 seconds of the interview, so now you have to go back and listen to the whole, the other I guess hour left, or 59 minutes left in the interview. Hopefully you enjoyed it. The first half hour is kind of talking about old LucasArts days, and the second half is talking about all about Thimbleweed Park and everything he's done since. Just really enjoyable chat we had with him. So check that out. Uh, if you do enjoy listening to the podcast, you can check out our Patreon as well. A dollar or two a month uh, donated there would help us out big time. So feel free to check that out. Uh, and then, yeah, our website is just menoflowmoralfiber.com. And that you can see our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and everywhere else. Everything we're doing in between episodes there. Uh, and I think that's it. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, as always, I have been Ben. And I will be Jason. And I am still a mighty pirate. And I am on a journey filled with peace and enlightenment. And murder. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Wow. See you guys.